0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Haj Assad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Um, I'll reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. Ben, tell them where they can find some of your recent stuff.
1: You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook.
0: Very cool. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, at TechSpot, at Nouveau Magazine, and Driving.ca. Ben, I'm gonna take the lead this week um because I have the I let's let's be honest, you haven't been driving anything interesting lately, and uh wow. I have been. So That's I'm hurtful, be- but accurate.
1: <laughs> Why is it hurtful? It's not like I mean you just the implication—the like, implication—is that I just can't drive anything
0: interesting. No, no, I didn't say that. You can drive interesting things. You just have chosen not to, recently. Because- well,
1: more like the scheduling vagaries that plague our profession have have reared their head.
0: That's right. All of the big shots have stolen all of our cars from us, and now we're just stuck with the leftovers. So I'm going to talk about the leftover vehicle that I have. Unnamed Um, Bottom
1: Feeder podcast.
0: Exactly. I'm going to talk about this um, Mustang GT that I've recently been driving. that's That's not much of a bottom feeder at all. However, it isn't the, like, wicked spec that we always expect to get. Uh, performance package and and whatnot. I think the last time we had a Mustang GT we were to, or or Mustangs we were talking about PP1 and PP two, which apparently stands for performance package um version one and two. We I didn't d- have that, that at was, all. It was
1: a couple of years ago, I think, the last time we had a V8 Mustang on the show. Right. So the V eight Mustang I had, well they lopped off the roof of it
0: and um that's how they gave it to me. They gave it to me a convertible Mustang GT. And it's a different experience than the these performance-oriented versions. I'm
1: assuming it was an automatic. No, actually, it was a manual. Really? So, like, that's, I think, a rare spec. I don't think many of the convertibles are being ordered as manuals. This is just my gut feeling.
0: That's right. Um, this is an interesting spec. It is known as... It's a trim level
1: known as the California Special. Okay, which, um, is, which is a historic uh, version of the Mustang. They've been making California Specials for decades. Yeah, since I think... The 60s. Right? I, I believe you're right, and I—I
0: would be honest. I always thought that the California Special was always a convertible, but that's not the case. They—they're coupes most of the time, or just as many times as, as they are convertible. So, what makes the
1: California Special special?
0: Um, well, there's a um, there's a stripe along the
1: side. It says GT slash CS for okay. California Special. So far, not that excited. Keep going. I think that's it. <laughs> Why It can't be it. Yet. What there has to be a little bit something more, right?
0: I mean, I've never really looked into it, but I guess I should now that you've asked me to. You know,
1: considering that it's your job to understand what this car is. Well,
0: maybe... I mean, I I was I booked this vehicle for a more g- general um, story to to write about it, but I ended up getting this very specific trim level. Well, let me guess, waterfalls? No, no, not a waterfall story. I, I'm done with those for now. Although I I did mention a waterfall in one of my recent stories, so... Yeah, this is this is getting there. So um, I'm, I
1: just looked up the current California Special, and it comes with a custom-tuned, bang and olive Sim Play Premium Auto system. Uh, yeah, three... I, had
0: a, I had a sound system for sure. It had 100% this car had a sound system. Okay, I, I, I'm surprised that the other non-California, the California Unspecial or not Special versions,
1: don't come with a sound system. Wouldn't you be surprised if you bought a Mustang with no... But it's a special. It's a supposedly a special sound system. Um, it, it comes in three colors that are heritage inspired, which they don't explain. So okay. I guess you find out at the dealership. And the stripes. Also, there's a rev match on your six speed manual. I'm I did sure if, have
0: that, and I wished I didn't.
1: Okay, because I'm not sure if that's something that is some like maybe a, an added feature on other versions of the GT.
0: Let me point out: this car was in blue. It was a very blue car. So, if that's one of the special Heritage Edition paint finishes, nailed it. They did it, okay? It really... Um, oh, here
1: we go. Let me find out. So, there is Velocity Blue, Need for Green, and the Bullet models, Highland Green. Uh, it but comes you can, with two
0: greens? I'm sorry? Two it comes green? with two greens. But it, okay. what's interesting is... like <laughs> one of them is the Bullet-specific green, which would really piss off the people who bought the Bullet,
1: right? I think so. But what's interesting, too, is in all of the PR photos associated with the Mustang, they're all silver or white. Like, it's... <laughs> Not only are they not the special colors, but they're the most boring colors you can get. And I say that as the owner of a white car. So I'm not right. – it's not putting shade on anyone who has a white car. I have one too. But if you're – you know, they even talk – it's funny because they talk to, I guess, the designer or whoever the car. And he's also talking about other colors. And he mentioned shadow black and magnetic gray, neither of which are pictured in any of these photos. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So I will add it It did come with um, – all of the all of those goodies that you mentioned. It had a sound system. I didn't really care that much about it. I didn't think that was anything worth mentioning. Um, but I did have this rev matching sound system for the manual uh, rev matching <laughs> rev matching um, transmission. And um, I really wish I didn't because this car also had an exhaust upgrade. Okay. You know, um, Mustangs now can be had with these uh, t- these adjustable exhaust systems. They go from normal, sport, track, and there's a quiet as well, and um, I thought it was actually a bit too loud. I'm, I'm not one to really complain about things like an old man yelling at a cloud, but I thought it was too loud. You've become every,
1: increasingly sensitive to exhaust noise because of your condo garage, I think.
0: I think maybe, perhaps, but every time you turn up, it fires up. I actually opted to turn on the quiet start mode. Um, especially, you know, when you, when you visit, um, when you're visiting people in the suburbs or whatever, and it's just like this loud roaring uh, thing going on. And then the rev matching downshifts as well. As I'm approaching sort of like uh, stop stop signs or stop lights, I I like to make sure I I put it in the appropriate gear every single time, and that just fires up. This revs the car out, and with it, in addition to that, with the with the loud exhaust, other people think you're making a big show out of slowing down. And you just look like – you look kind of ridiculous, so I See, you, you
1: can't turn it off at all?
0: Oh, I ended up turning it off, yes.
1: Okay. So I actually – I uh, I wanted to backtrack to the California Special. It was originally only sold in two specific California sales districts in 1968. And they made 4,100 of them. And over time, they kind of expanded that. But it was pretty much just an appearance package back then, too. They had the side stripes, similar to the ones today. And it had hood pins. A um, different tail lights and uh, side scoops, so it was kind of an appearance thing. But they so does have side scoops as well. Okay, so they made it again in 2007, and then in 2011, and then in 2016, and then in 2019 is the one that you're driving now.
0: Right. And I have to admit, like, I, I don't know that it's it's that special of a, of a vehicle. I don't know if they should really call it California special. I guess it's now for Heritage or a, a mid-cycle refresh to include this kind of trim package.
1: Sure. I mean, like, Heritage drives so much about the Mustang in terms of marketing. So it makes sense to – this is, reminds me of – remember, I don't know if you remember, but you used to be able to get dealer packages that were oh. – they were regional. So yeah. sometimes, like, if you look back on the history – I'm going to talk – Like Yanko Camaro's? Yenko Camaro was something different. That was a dealer who knew how to work the ordering system at GM and was able to create versions of the car for themselves. That uh, w- So in the 60s, GM had a rule that you couldn't put an engine larger than 400 cubic inches in anything lower than a full-size car. So intermediate cars, oh, cool. which, is, which is what Mustangs were. We talked about this a little bit on the book review a couple months ago uh, about 1970, the year of the muscle car. But the the rule was frustrating for you know any dealership that had already made a big reputation selling muscle cars before this came into effect. So guys like Yenko and uh, a couple of other dealers got very good at ordering engines that they would then install themselves, so that wouldn't go through the official build process at GM. And uh, there was another guy, Jim Wangers, one of the guys at uh, Pontiac. This is partly how they created the GTO. Uh, He had, um, I believe it was called Royal Pontiac in Michigan, and they had built a ton of SD or Super Duty drag cars doing this in the mid 60s. Um, but the, the dealer packages I'm talking to are more like they're, they're like weird options or equipment packages where they would take different features, put them together and then give it a name. And then they would mm-hmm. usually put that name on a sticker and put the sticker on the car. So if you're yeah. browsing for cars for sale from the eighties or the seventies or something, you'll find like an addition of the car that doesn't really exist. Like it was never an official Ford or a Chevrolet product, but for a period of time, they might have sold 50 or 60 of these in like Kansas or Kentucky or something like that.
0: To tell me there's just like some car with like Albion Ford or Islington Ford on it, like with this. No, it, it,
1: it wouldn't even say that. They, they come up with some name like, Elimi- oh, like- Eliminator Cross or some like weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> Why
0: Cross? We didn't have crossovers back then. See, like they that. were
1: ahead of the game, Sammy. That's, oh, that's yeah. the thing.
0: Imagine a car like from the, from the 80s is called like the 4G Plus and you'd be like, wow. The 4G were Plus really-
1: <laughs> or the, the Mach-E. Yeah. The mach Easy would probably be more appropriate for the time but yeah anyway back to your back to your Mustang
0: I also have to add that this did have I mean when I looked at it I was like oh maybe this is really um this is going to be a really sporty version of this uh, Mustang GT it had that front splitter that the um that the PPE had which means that um I had to watch out everywhere I was parking it to make sure I didn't uh, bump the the splitter on a curb or anything like that but the rest of the vehicle was not sporty at all. This has,
1: um... Well, I mean, not, not sporty for a 400-plus horsepower car, is what you're saying.
0: Right. And I, I I need to add that. I mean, this is a wicked engine, right? Like, this is a very nice 400... I think it's 450 horsepower
1: It's 460, actually. 460.
0: And 420 pound-feet of torque. And it sounds, it like I did, like I said, it does sound great in the normal exhaust mode. No need to really go overboard on that track one, which burbles and crackles and makes everyone turn their head at you and be like, "Could you please keep it down? Our children are trying to sleep." Um, and um, but the suspension is is pretty um compliant for a Mustang. The gearing as well caught me off guard. Sixth gear is super super tall. Like there is no you you do not accelerate very much in sixth gear. Uh, that is very, very much a cruising gear. And uh, that's what I really appreciated about this car is that it felt like a more sedate, like, comfortable Mustang. If it didn't have that exhaust note, I'd be very happy with it. Um, and then it had all these really nice features. The seats were lined in sort of like uh, like an Ultra Suede or, I guess, Alcantara or something.
1: Ultra Suede. I, just like, I just like saying tweed. it. This It's, it's just it, a fun word to say.
0: It is better than Super Suede. What do you think the guy who made Super Suede felt? How do you think he felt when they're like, oh, we come up with Ultra Suede? What do you think
1: the guy who came up with Ultra Suede is going to feel when they release Platinum Suede? I thought Mega Suede was next. No, Mega I've Suede seen- is it, it failed the development process. Too many <laughs> oh, no. people were dying, and they were like, "It's not worth it. <laughs> it's too suede for us. It's too. It's too suede." <laughs> what happens is you sit in the seat and you can't get out again. So people You're were right. actually starving to death in their garages. It's too. It's just too soft. Really. Exactly. Um it also has the. Um, it also has a really
0: nice um, gauge cluster. I, you know, I think all of our listeners probably know by now, and you know that I'm a huge sucker for digital gauge clusters. Um, Ford has actually a really good implementation, I think, of digital gauge clusters. They're easy to configure. They're easy to sort out. They're customizable in terms of colors and uh, content. And that is just not the same way as I'll describe a, another car that we're talking this week. But uh, that's a. That's a. We'll talk about that in ten minutes or so. Wow.
1: Um,
0: Time is ticking. I, The other issue I have with this is that the infotainment screen looks kind of small and dated now, and I was not expecting that to happen so quickly because, um, well, I guess we've become used to these much bigger, much clearer, higher resolution screens that we see in all sorts of other cars. Even just mundane, mainstream sort of Hyundais and Kias have nicer screens than what you've got in this Mustang.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is, I mean, continually continually changing screen resolutions or size is a great way to make people think they need to buy a new car. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, model years were only invented to sell more vehicles. There's no yeah. other reason. And that's why they kept making changes, because they wanted people to kind of take a disposable approach to automobiles. And it's an approach that continues to this day in a more muted form. But uh, I, I personally think we're at a point where... Any car built in the last 12 years, it's really hard to make an argument as to why you need a newer one. Mm -hmm. Like, they're they're pretty great. Um, You you could even probably go back to the mid-2000s. But I think definitely starting in 2010, like, everything feels very modern. And it's only the presence of these kinds of technologies that are uh, throwing in stark relief the fact that you're driving an older model.
0: And, I mean... I think year by year, I think for automakers to make that upgrade to an infotainment screen, it must be pretty affordable for them. I don't know. I think they, they can amortize the development of a new infotainment system across so many different models, and that should work out for them.
1: Oh, for sure. They're extremely inexpensive. This is an extremely inexpensive thing to do. I mean, this type of technology, display technology, doesn't really cost anything. And as long as it fits into your existing um, real estate on the dashboard – it's not like you're going to be doing a major redesign to make it happen.
0: Right. But I guess the alternative is, do you want a massive Mach, Mach-E, Mach-E, I can't even pronounce it today, Mach-E style screen on your Mustang um, GT? And I would say probably not, right? No. It's maybe too much. I, I don't even really want it in the Mach-E. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we should, um, we should probably end up um, discussing the price of this. Which I will I will sort out right now. I will will make sure I have the right information here. Um, But I was really surprised by this vehicle's uh, transmission. The the gearing was completely out of out of whack for me. I was not expecting it to be so tall that sixth gear. I was expecting to just power my way through the highway. But in in well, just downshift to
1: fifth gear if you need to do that. I mean, it's not. It's just like what half an inch to do that. Nah, (laughs) No, no time.
0: No, there is no... Semi only
1: that. shifts one way from fifth gear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's
0: right. Uh, I skip fifth most of the time.
1: Burn the bridge. Um, so
0: you can... The, the California special package is just an extra $2,000 on the Mustang GT Premium. Um, so that
1: means the cheapest you can get it is forty eight nine hundred, which isn't too bad. But from what you've described, I mean, why would I pay another two grand? Like, what am I... I'm getting a, a different stereo... Some you're stripes, the badges, yeah, the ba- yeah, but I mean, the, come on, I could buy those badges on eBay. So, like, and what you're else? Getting
0: these really interesting, like side scoops that I don't think are practical or useful.
1: Well, I mean, they're. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think you're right. So, all of those things are things I could probably buy at JC Whitney or from a Summit catalog. Totally for less than two grand. So, I think the real draw is the stereo. Um, if you really want that. And in your convertible. It's 1,000 watts. A good, you need a good
0: stereo in a convertible for when the roof is down. It's true, you and... do.
1: <laughs> How else am I going to listen to my talk radio super loud in traffic? <laughs> Over my exhaust. With the mid-range turned up to the max. Okay, I want to talk about something. I don't know if we've ever talked no. about this on the podcast. This is not a thing that needs to be discussed on the podcast. So every time I get into a press car, uh, yeah. a vehicle from the test fleet... I, the, first, the second or first thing I do is I check the audio settings because I like you know, to have... I can go through the steps. You put on your seatbelt.
0: You adjust the mirrors. Then you do this. The mirrors I usually do later. They're one of the last <laughs> things I do. If you forget about it and you're driving, you're like... If,
1: if you really want to know, the first thing I do is I take out Fuelio, which is an app I use to track fuel consumption, and I input oh, yeah. the starting mileage. So that's the first thing I do. Second Great. thing I do, I connect my phone to the infotainment system. And the third thing or second thing, depending on how you view uh, whether time is a flat circle for you or not, the I, I check the audio settings. So I always put the EQ in a, in a V, like higher bass, higher treble, regular mids. But there are monsters out there. And those monsters take the eq and i get in and i open it up and they've pumped up all the mid-range to the top and sometimes all the treble and drop the bass completely out or sometimes it's like just treble and sometimes it's just mid-range this is a crazy 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 way to listen to audio is That's interesting. In- okay, I'm gonna come
0: at you with the other with the other way. I get into cards, and the bass is the only thing that I hear when I turn on the sound system, and I have a tr- I have a significant amount of trouble hearing
1: anything from my music. And it's I have, like, I've i don't never hear heard. I okay, I've heard the bass turned up too loud, but I've never encountered an EQ that was just bass. <laughs> was I think just, are, everything else was down, just bass. I, think I don't know are, if somebody's just messing with me, but. There's got to be some people out there who only listen to talk radio and need it to be as shrill as possible. And I just can't imagine being in that audio acoustic environment. Okay. That's the end of my rant. I agree with you.
0: That's fine. I, don't, I, I agree with you. I think there's, there's – I, I mean I don't know. Do you think that that customization, those EQs are um, are like an attractive feature to consumers or do you just set it and you're done,
1: right? It's in every car. I don't understand what you're saying, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, I I don't think people buy it because of the EQ, but I think that, yeah, I mean, but you're right. I don't, I don't mess with it. I don't like, I mean, there might be a period of fine tuning where I figure out an individual car stereo system and how, how good it is, especially anyone that has like a a subwoofer setting, which I don't like, like just figure that out on, on the end, please. But, uh, I don't think you go in and like every couple of weeks, you're like, oh, maybe I'll pump the mids today, you know? So um, that anyway, do you have any final thoughts on the California Special? You seem to be really into. It. You seem to be someone who would buy a California Special Mustang.
0: I actually I don't mind it. I, I I don't know if I would get the California Special. I didn't I didn't mind the convertible Mustang. It reminded me that the Mustang is very good. Um, most of the time, we get these EcoBoost models or the performance models, which I think are kind of niche. Are like they have a very specific market in mind, and they they serve that. But I don't think that's for everybody. The V8 convertible just had a far more generalized or mainstream approach, and it resonated with me. At least, maybe because I was in the midst, it's the mist of summer, and that's like the perfect car for it. So, uh, once we're out of Mustang country, where are we going next? We're into another animal. This time, it's the Jaguar. Um, I had a, a F Pace, and I don't know if we've ever talked about the F Pace ever I on don't the think, podcast. I so don't think we maybe have. Maybe we have in our private lives or to other people. But I don't um, think I've driven it. The F pace
1: ever? No. F pace. Wait a minute. 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 F oh, pace is the first crossover from Jaguar, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. I not was, the E pace, which is the smaller crossover, <sighs> which I haven't the driven. I
0: pace, which is the electric crossover.
1: Yeah. So I was at the launch of the F pace, uh, which okay. was in Colorado, and at the same time, we also drove the. Um, The sedan that they built, the XE. XE, right. This was sort of
0: like their uh, way of making their product a little bit more uh, – they wanted to improve their portfolio more beyond just the sedan. And
1: and the launch of this product predates the podcast, (laughs) which is why it's not – we haven't talked about it.
0: Okay, um, so I was looking forward to this because if I remember correctly, the F-Pace, um, when it first came out, that, that drive program you were on, I think it surprised people at how Jaguar can make a really attractive um, and luxurious crossover that could do battle with the types of the Jaguar, uh, the Mercedes GLK at the time and the uh, BMW X3.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's – you, you th- don't think it's maybe a t- teensy bit bigger than those vehicles? Like a bit, of a, a bit of a tweener,
0: no, definitely not. Okay. I think they were they, like design-wise, maybe, but interior space and pricing don't seem to put it at that at that level. They do look really good. They look great. The version I drove, now this some sometime between when and, and I remember the verse the first F Pace I drove, I was really impressed with it. I thought it was great. It had a very advanced infotainment system, a nice digital gauge cluster. It was full of all sorts of things that would end up breaking on a typical Jaguar. And I'm sure that most Jaguar owners are already complaining about all of their electrical issues in their in their F-pace.
1: And that was about back in about 2017, right? Right. Um
0: this Sometime between then and now, Jaguar has introduced a four-cylinder version of this car.
1: A diesel version um, as well. As well. A, I think the diesel one's gone now. I'm not sure if it's it, still we, around. No, I, I think it was one of the early ones. I think you're right. When, the, when It was one of the first models was diesel. But the ones that we all drove was this. Oh, and
0: also the SVR, a V8-powered version of this car, which is crazy and sounds unbelievable. I drove this four-cylinder version, which I was not expecting when I got in the car because the first time I remember driving the car, I think it was a six-cylinder, and I was pretty happy with that. Four-cylinder is not the way to drive a Jaguar F-Pace. I'm going to be upfront and say it right now. I even drove what was known as the F-Pace S, which is supposed to be a little bit more performance-oriented. Now, I'll tell you, this thing has a whopping 246 horsepower and 269 pound-feet of torque. That's not enough. Wait, how much horsepower? 246. Okay. No, that's definitely and not enough. I mean, it's uh, not enough. This is a very big car, as we mentioned. Um, it weighs uh, over four thousand pounds, eek. and like the zero to high, the zero to sixty, or and this thing is is embarrassing. It's got to be like six seconds or seven seconds or so. This is worth pointing out because the four solar versions of the competition are pretty good. Yeah, um, they are. They are for sure. I don't know if it's because they have more gear ratios to take advantage of. They're lighter vehicles. Just overall, they feel a little bit more energetic. And this F pace two, it's called the two fifty, the P two fifty. I just would not recommend this trim level for people. I also have to add that I was disappointed by some of the equipment in this car. This is a luxury oriented vehicle, and I want to ask you, Ben, what kind of what kind of equipment you think um, a
1: luxury oriented vehicle should have? I mean, first of all, mega suede. I think nope, that doesn't
0: have it. Did not have any sort of high, uh, upper quality suede that I could uh, know ultra mega giga super just nothing e- like
1: suede. no
0: i'm not even come on man
1: so on. next uh swarovski crystals on the shifter and the dashboard dials
0: no, none, neither of those. Definitely okay. no, no glare-inducing uh, dials. I will add this did have a digital gauge cluster, one of those things that, again, I'm smitten for, I just cannot get enough of. But this one actually infuriated me because changing any setting on this thing required a menu. So if I wanted to change, say, um, an area that said the trip, uh, the fuel economy of the current trip, if I wanted to change that to show the media information, I actually had to enter a menu... I had to go to the like gauge configuration mode, change the item from one to the other, and then back out of all of these menus to see the change. This is incredibly dangerous <laughs> to do while driving. It should not be that should it should honestly just be a little like a tap on a D pad that should change that feature. Right? So, so
1: what else is missing from the vehicle that kind of sets it apart from luxury vehicles?
0: Uh, adaptive cruise control. Okay. Uh, I, we have we have base level honda civics and and subarus that have adaptive cruise control why can jaguar not implement this feature right
1: i mean is it available on higher trim levels yeah okay so it's there to sell higher trim level versions of the car that's all i guess so
0: um and i i mean i just really wasn't impressed with with this it um i don't know how else to describe i had a lot of strange experiences with this with this thing it couldn't find um destinations sometimes like it made me feel like I was taking crazy pills when I tried to enter a destination in the navigation system. Um, the, the parking sensors would occasionally just go haywire uh, when I'm not anywhere near things. So I don't know if that's because of dirty sensors or you know something like that. Just uh, an overall un- like unimpressive luxury vehicle. Um, it was also very loud. Again, that four cylinder was buzzy. And not just that, there just wasn't enough sort of sound deadening going on inside the, inside the cabin. Um, and I had a lot of squeaks and rattles within the cabin. And this is a relatively new vehicle. It had um, probably two, less than 2,000 miles on it. And I'm hearing creaks and squeaks and, and all sorts of odd noises coming from within this cabin um, when <laughs> the mild times when the, um, when the automatic engine start stopped you know, bring the, the cabin noise or the cabin volume level to a quiet. And I just wasn't impressed. This didn't feel like a luxury car. So now, I think... that that counters my previous experience with this vehicle back in 2017 or 2018, which was really positive. So either my standards have gone up or this four-cylinder version of the car just isn't at the standard that I, I expected out of the F-Pace.
1: The so I I think this is a good point to mention that Jaguar is on the verge of radically transforming its brand. Um, we're probably not going to get any more gasoline-powered vehicles from Jaguar. I think they're looking to go to a three-car lineup that challenges at more of a Bentley level of uh, luxury, and they're all going to be electric. What makes you say that? I mean, I'm sorry. What makes me say that is, is an announcement that Jaguar made <laughs> about a month ago saying that they were going to do that. Uh, oh, and- okay. My bad.
0: I haven't been paying attention, so you need to... You need to frame this up. You need to, to to set it up for me.
1: I mean, in February they said they were going to be going all electric by 2025, uh, that's,
0: but that's like that's practically two years away. I mean, this year's almost is halfway over the fiscal year, essentially over.
1: But I had uh, I had read some other uh, reports where just Jaguar. The interesting thing to me wasn't so much that they were going all electric, but that they were going to be like seriously lifting the brand's prestige level and presumably the pricing. I, I well, think, I mean,
0: after they made this, this like, really bottom feeder F pave that should not be offered, I, it's interesting for them to go, like, the opposite direction. Now.
1: The least expensive of Jaguar... So, Jaguar's CEO t- said um, that the least expensive version of its electric cars moving forward past 2025 will, will start at $140,000. Holy moly. His exact words were, luxury starts not far from £100,000. And that's the whole. That's where Jaguar feels the luxury market is now. Okay. So you're looking um, at Porsche and Bentley and Aston Martin, kind of.
0: Well, that. my vehicle in its um, without adding any of the feature, the additional sort of option packages that it was equipped with, um, started at fifty five thousand dollars. So it's got a long way to go to reach that future benchmark that the brand has set for itself. And I also don't know what. What that means – is that really a if – if they're having – if I'm saying that they're having difficulty meeting standards for a more affordable vehicle, will they be able to reach the standard for a $100,000 car
1: consistently? Presumably at that price point, the, you're going to be moving from a volume model to a smaller uh, production volume. And as I really just said, volume, voice in a row. But what I mean is you're going to go from cars that are coming off an assembly line to cars that are probably being more hand built. And I don't know if that's going to help, but they're going to be selling exclusivity at that point, right? Like that's why you would buy the hundred, you buy the hundred and forty thousand base car because. Very few people are going to have it. I, although if you start thinking about, you know, what cars are available at that point, you could buy a Porsche Cayenne for that much money, right? So yeah, you, you see Cayennes everywhere. But Cayenne has a wide range of offerings. They're not all Turbo S's. So I think for Jaguar, they're probably going to have a smaller lineup. It's going to be more bespoke. And they're going to try and eke out profits that way.
0: I don't know, man. I'm kind of worried about this. I've been worried know. about Jaguar for 20 years. Like, I, <laughs> well, no, I, hold on. When we saw the the um, F-type and the F-Pace, I think we had. A feeling that they're on the up. I, I mean, maybe that was me. Maybe I'm optimistic. Like but that a car nice. like
1: the F-type was never going to sell in the numbers required to keep a company in business. I mean, as no, cool as show, that car but the is, the automaker
0: had a focus. They had a priority on on making something and, fun, and, then, and interesting, and cool.
1: And then they came out with the XC, which was too small inside and nobody wanted it. And it came out at the right. worst possible time, right? Because people stopped buying entry level sedans, especially in the luxury segment. And then they've done the
0: XF still. Which I don't think, which is supposed to be sort of a 5 Series competitor, which doesn't seem to gain much traction with buyers. It or, is
1: currently their only car, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, because there's no the more. The XJ is gone. Then. XJ is gone and the XE is essentially gone. So the XF is going to have to take up the slack, I guess, until this whole electric thing happens.
0: And then they went down market again with the E-Pace.
1: So, yeah, it's it's scattershot. It's not been successful. Uh, they've had many different owners over the last few years, or not many, but, like, over the last two, 20, 20 years or so. This is a company that's changed hands, and they can't find a way forward that makes sense.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at across their brand portfolio, we're looking at um, uh, Land
1: Rover. Yeah, but Land Rover is something very different, and Land Rover is what keeps Jaguar in business. If there was no Land Rover, there would be no Jaguar. And Land Rover, yes, and Land Rover
0: has made some pretty impressive vehicles in the past two years. I talked about the Defender uh, last year, I think it was um i think you kind of had some pretty
1: imp- positive positive
0: impressions of the range rover velar as well right
1: yeah but the thing about land rover too is they were in the right place at the right time just like jeep i mean they were perfectly positioned to ride the suv wave so that worked out very well in their favor and and it's helped them become the piggy bank for a jlr but that's only gone so far jaguar has not been able to pull its own weight I had heard way back when the XE came out that if the XE failed, that was the end of the company. Like That was their last big gambling uh, play to try and get volume to to stay alive. And it kind of seems like, well, I mean, it definitely did fail. So relaunching the brand as EV only at a very high price point kind of feels like a do-over, kind of feels like maybe we're not talking about the same Jaguar anymore.
0: I'm worried about that. I don't know if that's... First of all, that plan needs to come into action much sooner than whatever they're... It needs to happen now, like literally right now. There are already um, luxury brands going electric with, with potentially... Um, they're, they're going to be getting their foothold in that, in that segment, that style, sooner. Um, Mercedes but, wants to do it. Audi wants to do it. Porsche is going to do it. Um, we've also got Tesla, of course. And there's also going to be new startups coming up. I don't know if they're going to be able to make sedans at that price point, at an affordable price point, or 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 a mainstream price point. But I, I think ja-
1: Jaguar plays hard on heritage and like makes that the basis of these vehicles. To be like, oh, we're going into the future, but we have our foot firmly planted in in our history, you know, kind of thing. And that's, Will that, work? that that'll be Will their that do something. Well, it's the only play they have in terms of beating out the the startups that you mentioned. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's they need help. They need this needs to not be what they're, which is a shame. Again, the F base SVR, the six cylinder versions as well, are honestly not that bad. They're pretty cool actually, and uh, I wasn't so unimpressed with the with the packaging offering. But these base ver, this base version of the vehicle, definitely not the the one you should be looking for. And there are so many better options in this segment. Um, from like I, I mentioned, just the the two ger- two of the Germans. But I think you can even go the new Korean uh, GV70 is probably worth picking up
1: at this point, too. And definitely a much newer design. Right. Which is uh, a shame. The design is still the best part of this vehicle. So any any closing thoughts? I guess you just kind of gave them to us. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Um, one thing I wanted to, to kind of close the podcast with, I was, I was speaking with one of our listeners on Instagram um, actually a few weeks ago and he was talking to me about the episode where we discussed how it would be difficult to i believe Chad was on the show and we were talking about the hybrid version of the F150 the f- mm-hmm. the F150 Lightning that's come out mm-hmm. and we were talking about how you know people tow that's with an their electric
0: all electric version of it you said yeah. hybrid
1: oh sorry the yeah, electric okay. version so uh people tow with their trucks And one of the big issues right now with any kind of electric vehicle is finding a place to charge it. And that issue is kind of doubled if you have a trailer attached to your truck because you're not going to be able to um, necessarily find a charging station, even a a standalone charging station at a rest stop, that's going to be able to accommodate you and your trailer. uh, Unless you park across like three spots and, and make everyone hate you. So his suggestion Was are we potentially going to start seeing trailers that have battery compartments in them that for people who want to tow with their electric uh, pickups but need to have an extended range because they're facing exactly this charging problem? And is that potentially a market moving forward that third parties are going to pour themselves into? And I thought that was a really interesting idea. And Mm -hmm. I was just wondering what you thought of it. I've actually been thinking about this as well. So I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if the technology is there for the
0: auto make the the vehicle itself to just plug into the trailer and char- and use that battery while it's on the go. I don't know if that's there or if they need to stop and charge from the trailer.
1: I mean, I don't see how hard it would be to make this happen,
0: uh, like a, like a power bank for your phone.
1: Right? Considering wh- I once drove a roadkill <laughs> built uh, Chevy Monza that had a uh, trailer that had a supercharger and a V8 engine on the trailer that fed boost into the engine of the vehicle that that was being driven i think we can figure out EV charging I with mean, a few cables
0: that a production vehicle there was there were certain safety features that did not come into play there um, Yeah, there was the, there was
1: zero safety features coming into play there <laughs> um
0: but the concern then is you're offloading you're like proc- you're procrastinating procrastinating your your charging situation now we're going to charge two products to give us maximum range and then we're going to have to charge for twice as long to get both of those products up to um uh, up to a full charge again yeah
1: but i mean if you if that's the difference between getting to your destination and not getting to your destination then that's probably a situation you're going to be willing to embrace but then you're you're still ending
0: up at that same situation where you have to Find a, char- a parking spot or a, ch- or a driveway or, a you know, your campsite has to be able to um, accommodate your vehicle and the trailer to charge both of the either charge them both at
1: the same time or
0: charge them one and then the
1: other. Or, you know, like if you're like my father, he ends up taking his he towing his race car to the track and we often leave the car at the track overnight and then go to the hotel. So the vehicle and the trailer are disconnected at that point. Which means he would be able to charge at the hotel in theory, but uh, wouldn't you know? The big problem is on the way down with that trailer, charging becomes almost impossible. Right.
0: I don't know. I think you're you're delaying the inevitable, which is a lengthy charge or t- or potentially yeah, two.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you're going to be delaying the charge in in any respect whenever you add battery capacity. Like that's what it's all about, right? But I guess it's the same for people who would have a lot of jerry cans, or you know, no, no uh, one travels with jerry cans, like, whatever you want to
0: call them. What are the gas? No, I know gases? what you're
1: talking about, but like you, you don't bring that with you because you need the gas on your trip, like unless you're going off road or something like that. Like, I think, I think you rely on an infrastructure. Although, okay, I will say this: um, you've been to Texas, right? And yep. you've you've seen ranch country, and you've seen those trucks that have the big tanks in the bed of the truck, right? And that's because if you're on a ranch and your ranch is huge, like thousands of acres or whatever, um, sometimes you're gone all day and you're not going to get gas when you're out in the boonies. But I, I guess that kind of falls into off-roading. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if this is this is the kind of the same thing? Your I don't trailer know. I think has. I
0: think we need to start thinking about. Okay, so let's 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 talk about the trailer the trailering part. If we're trailering. Um, should the batteries be on the trailer or should we have some sort of external battery that we can plug in to the vehicle that we can use in the bed of the vehicle as well? Like that, You've got a lot of extra space there too, right?
1: Well, I mean, you might have extra space there, but the problem with putting in the bed is then you remove cargo capacity. Whereas if it's integrated mm-hmm. into the trailer underneath the frame or underneath the floor, you don't have to do that. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: I'm just trying to come up with as many ideas as we can for, for solving this issue. And I For, for
1: all the venture capitalists who are listening to this podcast and are going to rob us blind idea-wise, I get it. But then Thank you. the trailers are going to be expensive too, right? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously everything's expensive when you're buying your $100,000 Lightning F-150. <laughs> that's right.
0: Or your Cybertruck or your whatever, GMC Hummer.
1: Um I don't know. I,
0: I, I do think that we're going to have to do this. This is going to be mobile battery sources or portable battery sources or something like that. Offsetting it more than just the grid, just carrying around batteries is going to have to be something. But then again, you, that extra weight of the batteries on the trailer is also going to impact range too, right? What do you mean? If the, if the trailer is heavier because of the batteries... Won't the electric truck have to use more power to get, go- get yes, going? Yes, that is, that is exactly how physics works. So now we're just making the battery heavier, the trailer heavier. But that's already a
1: problem chip. with the Lightning, which we've pointed out only has the range that it has because it has a massive battery. And then if you look at it in terms of kilowatt hours per mile, it's really not an efficient model. So, so this, is, this is this more is, inefficient. This is where we are right now with electric vehicles, and we'll eventually get past this, I guess, but I don't know when.
0: I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. They, I don't know this. Tra- this, I actually do think that trailering and towing is going to be a major hurdle for electric vehicles, um, until the range really gets like Im- like super impressive.
1: No, I mean, like, any type of you know work. <laughs> It's probably going to be difficult. I would agree with you.
0: Until they really make more efficient uh, motors or batteries, right? Yeah,
1: sure. Because I mean, it's, I the same, it's the same as now. Anytime you tow with a gas engine, you're using a whole bunch of gas. Right. So you, you can't really get around. Moving big mass requires big energy. You know, that's the uh, beginning and but end. But
0: we're making the mass even heavier with these batteries all around. Yeah. So, so it, if, doesn't make, if, it doesn't if, make
1: sense. I'll, if I'll if you're that. listening to this podcast and you have questions about big energy, or you are someone with billions of dollars and want to turn that into millions of dollars (laughs) by way of our ideas regarding EVs, you can reach out to us in a number of different ways. Um, I would recommend... First, going to, the po- going to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a little form there. You fill it out. You send your message and it ends up in our inbox. You can also contact Sammy on the cesspool at his Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can find me on Instagram at HuntingBenjamin. Or you can even email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin, at benjaminhunting.com.
0: Um, additionally, while you're looking at our website, you can take a look at all of our, all of our old episodes. That's very easy. You can just scroll down, I guess, um, on the website. Or you can subscribe to us using a bunch of buttons at the top of the website. And furthermore, if you just don't want to go to the website, you want to subscribe to us in, in, in a far more user-friendly way, you can just use your podcatcher. Uh, search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast there and um, just hit subscribe. And if you really want to, you should leave a review because the reviews help us get better. They help other people find the podcast. Um, you can tell us what your favorite joke is or whether or not we are completely off our rocker with our Mega Suede or Giga Suede or Ether Suede idea. Um, what else should we tell people about, Ben?
1: I mean, likes, comments, that, that's that's always a uh, a great idea. And if you have an idea for a version of Suede that is perhaps more dangerous than Mega Suede, we'd love to hear it.
0: Additionally, we also have um, a donation system. It's called Ko-Fi, K-O-F-I. Just go to Kofi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. If you want to donate a coffee or a, or a tea or, you know, uh, pay for Sammy's, <laughs> yeah.
1: pay for one of Sammy's many self-improvement courses.
0: I'm, I am getting better, man. They said work on yourself. And every day in every
1: on. way. I would agree with you.
0: Uh, you can do that. It's very easy. Ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast.
1: And Sammy, what that, are you going to be driving next week?
0: What am I going to be talking ch- I have the Outlander and the Kia Sorento to talk about. So one of those two, depending on my mood, um, I'll say if it's a good mood, I'll talk about the Sorento. And if it's a bad mood, I'll talk about the Outlander. That's completely arbitrary. I just flip the coin to decide that. Okay. Ben, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm
1: not flipping any coins, but I am burning some rubber with the uh, Dodge Durango Hellcat.
0: Oh, good. We've thrown efficiency right out the window for next
1: week. Well, you know, I have been driving a lot of EVs and the world needs to be in balance.
0: That's right. Perfectly balanced. Uh, So thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.